Faith in Real Life, where we talk about truths of the Bible that are relevant to your life and faith. My name is Obi, and I'm the pastor to young adults and men at First Baptist O'Fallon. I'm joined today by Bryson McGuire, who is our student pastor. What's up, Bryson? Hey, how's it going, man? Good. It's good to have you. And you did not say hey o. I did not. Shaking you're, things up a little bit. You're trying to. You're trying to be um, very. Uh, what's What's the word? Uh, go with the flow. Fluid. Go with the flow. Just go that's, with the flow, man. That's the term. Liquid. No, fluid. <laughs> Fluid's the word Fluid's you use. Fluid's better terminology. Okay. Yeah, okay. Anyway, so now that we've lost everybody who's listening, because uh, you didn't say hey and it threw us all off, um, we are talking today about what is a controversial subject, um, but we, we do want to handle it in a, a dignified way, so we're going to do our best at that. Um, but we're talking about gender identity, or what some might see as gender fluidity, or what, um, from the biblical perspective, would be seen as distinction distinctions in creation. And so I'm going to start off by this before we, we get into some of the topic. I uh, read an article from the Ethics and Religious Commission out of the Southern Baptist Convention, and they kind of talked about um, really kind of three different phrases that we could use to kind of help keep our definition straight. So obviously biological sex, um, that's not as often in in disagreement. The disagreement comes oftentimes when we use the word gender. What do we mean? Mm -hmm. So what they kind of suggested would be a way to to understand this is there's gender, I guess, true gender, which would be synonymous with biological sex. And then there would be gender expression, which, of course, you know, we acknowledge that an adult or a human can, uh, whether or not they should, but they are able to express themselves um, in, in various ways. So, so gender expression is not often what we're going to mean. I, I don't think maybe we'll mm-hmm. we'll um, we'll express that if if we mean that. Um, but otherwise, we probably mean gender as synonymous with biological sex. So, just to kind of get that definition out of the way. But yeah. we know even by using. Uh, the word gender that way, it can be contentious for some. And, and of course, that's not what we want. Um, and so that kind of leads me to the first thing the, or the next other thing I think we need to get out of the way is is really that there are some wrong ways that Christians can go about this topic. And so I wanted to start with you there, Bryson, as um, you have some thoughts on that. What are some wrong ways that Christians can handle this topic? Yeah, I think, you know, so when we talk about gender identity, gender fluidity, all these different things. Also, I do need to point out that Obi saying me being fluid and gender fluidity, not anything in connection. I just felt like I needed to say that because uh, you literally said I was fluid and then you talked about gender fluidity. So anyway, besides that, that fact, words do have meaning. Words so have a lot of meaning. So I appreciate that. Um, No, I think one of the biggest problems is that overall in the church, we've done a really good job at rejecting people who are different. Um, And, and so let's, let's. And you mean that sarcastically. Or, or you mean that uh, that it's not a good job? It's not. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. But they've done a good job. We've the become church experts has, at it, right? And so <clears throat> let's roll back a few years to the conversation of homosexuality, which is I understand a little different from gender identity, but let's just go to this, right? This has been a decades long, you know, conversation dispute within the church, and what you really had was you have a community of people who. Um, are same-sex attracted, living in a homosexual lifestyle, right? And so we're not going to tiptoe around the fact that we believe the Bible says that that is a sin, okay? Not not going to be unapologetic about that. Um, that's what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says. Now, how we have as a church as a whole, right? So I'm not talking about our local church. I'm just talking about the church, kind of just broad stroke in America, Western society. There was this kind of a movement 
to just like reject and attack people who were same sex attracted, who lived in the homosexual lifestyle. Think about the 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 picketing and the 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 signs, you know, and just think about the things that you've heard from preachers and pastors. I literally heard a fairly popular, maybe not so popular anymore, pastor one time draw an analogy that basically was the equivalent of putting homosexuals in concentration camps um, in, in the in the United States. And so think about it. if you're a person that you know that you're you're same sex attracted, you're living homosexual lifestyle. And there's this preacher who's up there and he's talking about the grace of God, the love of Jesus, how he died for the sins of all. And, you know, that if you come forward, you know, you can be forgiven, all this stuff, unless you're gay. You know what I mean? It was like this distinction, right. like, yeah. hey, and then you have this other issue of, right, statistically speaking, 70 to 80 percent of males in the church actively struggle with some form of sexual sin whether that be pornography, adultery, something to that extent, the majority of men in the church have struggled with that. So you got these pastors, these preachers, these churches that are just screaming, you know, turn and burn or turn or burn, you know, homosexuality is, you know, is wrong. And then you got these men in their church struggling with sexual sin and it's just overlooked and it's ignored. So let's bring that into the conversation of gender identity. There's a lot of people who I think the church has done a really, again, sarcastically, but they've done a really good job of rejecting people who who maybe don't fit into their Christian normative, their Christian standard. And these there's these people out there who you know really have this this struggle or really have this perspective or whatever you want to say um, in terms of of gender. And we we the church just sometimes doesn't always do a great job of making those people understand that we're all sinners, right? The Bible says that for all have sinned, for every single person has sinned, has committed a sin against God. And, um, right, there's no one that's righteous. There's not one person who's righteous. And yet we we sometimes pick on these individual topics and things in, in our culture, in the world, and you have this group of people who feel ostracized, rejected, and left out of the church who even if they walked into the doors of the church, they may not really adhere or understand the message of the gospel because we've we've so attacked them and made them feel rejected. And someone may come in and say, well, a pastor like that is using hyperbole. Um, you know, he's just trying to make a point or, or trying to be extra, um, I, I don't know, extra powerful with his words, things like that. Um, but to the point you're making is, how is that helpful if we care about lost souls? And so for this conversation where we could go entirely wrong, um, and I'll say in two fronts, we're going to talk about this in a bit from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, that we Christians are called to speak truth and love. It's both. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not select one or the other. So we could go wrong if we're so focused on truth that we, um, we just stop caring about people. Right. Right. And, and I'm not saying don't focus on truth. I'm saying mm-hmm. focus on truth and focus on love. Um, we could, of course, go wrong the other way, that we're so focused on love that we forget truth, right. that we forget to uphold the standards of Scripture. So I would say on either end, we uphold the standards of Scripture and we uphold the the intrinsic worth of humans. And so if a, a person came into a church and the pastor's specifically treating their sin as if somehow it were irredeemable, as opposed to all the other sins, like you you point out that 70 plus percent of men have some sort of sexual sin in their life, um, and, and we say, well, those 
those we're kind of okay with. Mm-hmm. Those were kind of um, those are fine. Um, and, and then if you think of modern churches that we don't often pre- preach on things like gluttony or mm-hmm. stuff like that, those we're okay with, but these other ones we're not. And we're not saying don't treat these other sins as if they're sin. We're saying treat sinners with love. Right. We preach truth, but we preach it to people that we know that the God who created them wants to redeem. So we kind of want to start off the conversation with that because there may be someone listening who just by Christians bringing up this subject of gender identity, they're just waiting for the words of condemnation to flow and they're waiting to feel ostracized and like they're not loved and they're, they don't belong. And what we would hope that they would hear from Scripture and therefore uh, us as Christians, we're heralds of, of the message of Scripture, we want them to know that there is a God who loves them. And then there may be some Christians out there who feel like, all of their sin is fine, and other people who sin in a way that's um, alien or unusual to them, that's what's actually bad. And we would have us all acknowledge that we're all sinners before a holy God. Mm -hmm. And so we have to start there. But it's a God who loves us so much he died to save us. So uh, let's level the playing field um, that we're we're all on. So what we want to do now is then kind of bring in the the fuller definitions. And I'm going to start with talking about the traditional definition. And Bryson can uh, correct. You can correct me or... um, or add to it, or, or okay. whatever you need to do. Probably and, won't correct you. So uh, you could. Uh, well, you already. Uh, I, I used the word fluid incorrectly there. I, I just wanted to make sure people understood you weren't drawing a connection to me. I was not. The people me being fluid was a conversation we had before the podcast recorded, and then you literally talked about gender fluidity. I'm. I just wanted. What to I know meant there was, was Bryson is working on spontaneity. Yeah, and we'll see how good he is when I. I'm not <laughs> spontaneousness when because this is our fourth take of this podcast. So <laughs> well, and then when I call you fluid on air, then uh, we'll see how spontaneous you are. And hey, you handled it admirably. Thank you. I appreciate well done. That. Um, all right, so talking about the traditional definition of gender, which of course is uh, we're using that word gender in this in this setting as not gender expression, but we're saying your true gender, which is synonymous with biological sex. And so I heard a really, um, I don't remember the year, but it was just an awesome message from a guy named Dennis Prager, and he spoke to Focus on the Family about creation. And he, he asked him, and this was actually not about gender identity, it was... Um, it was it may have been roles of men and women, but it also was the, the difference between animals and man. Mm. And so what he said was, do you know what God did in the creation story besides create? And, of course, that captivates everyone's mind right away. You're like, oh, I actually don't know. I hope he doesn't call on me. I have no idea what he's about to say. And he pointed out that there's actually a pattern in Genesis chapter 1 in, in the creation story. I'm going to read it in a second of creation and separation. So God did not just create, but he drew distinctions. And so in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then on day one, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And so that's the last one that he He kind of just creates and doesn't do any separating. On day two, God said, Let there be an expanse separating water from water. And that's how the sky was created. Mm-hmm. So he made he made the sky in heaven, and then there was water on the face of the earth. So then on day three, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And so on that day three, you have, yes, creation, but there's a separation, mm-hmm. right? And, and really on that day, it's it's pulling the water from the sky 
or, or not from the sky, that, that had been separated from the sky and is now on the face of the earth, gathering it into one place or many places as we know on the earth, and dry land appears. And then on day four, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And the sun and moon and stars were created, right? So even then, when you think of the, the different celestial bodies, there's separation. God made a day. God made a night. There's distinctions. On day five, God said, let the water swarm with living creature and the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So, so you have two different types of animals or mm-hmm. two different kinds, uh, for, for lack of a better word, that you'll have some that are in the water, some that are on in the sky. And then on day six, he, he made animals of the earth. Mm-hmm. And so you have three different types of animals, water, air, land. But then he caps off his creation and says, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then you have the, the story of the creation of Adam and Eve. So God created man in his own image. He created them male and female. Mm-hmm. And so the story of creation is not just creation. It's a story of separation, that God made distinctions. And so this is the picture of, of the creative story of, of mankind, that, that God made us a certain way. And uh, Bryson, you and I often talk about Jackie Hill Perry Mm -hmm. and how we really like her book, um, Gay Girl, Good God. And in it, one of the things she noted was as she was struggling with her um, with her view of herself as a woman and and in a sense, kind of wanting to be the man in a relationship. um, She said that she realized that if God made her a woman and said it was good, then being a woman was a good thing. And so. There have been lots of different ways that our society has tried to ebb away at being male and ebb away at being female. Right. I think of, for females, I think of really kind of the devaluing of uh, a wife who chooses to stay at home as if that's a shameful thing. How, how dare a woman do that? And that is just one example. There's plenty for men as well. Mm-hmm. That's just one example of how we've said whatever whatever God may find value in, like nurturing a child, that's not okay. We, we need women to go take on the world and things like that. And if a woman chooses to work, that's perfectly fine. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we've devalued the opposite. Mm-hmm. We've said that if you're, you've stayed home, then there's something wrong with you. And so there's a real devaluing of a distinction that God made. So, all right, so that's anything to add to that before we get your modern definition or correct. You have that opportunity. I think you are correct. I mean, did I use any words improperly like <laughs> fluid? I talked about water, time. two different types of water, water of the sky, water. Not of, this time. Okay. No, but I do think, I mean, you are correct. Like my wife, she stays home. That's a choice we make and something that we value and you know, there's a lot of people who who do question that decision, even inside the church. Um, you know, like, you know, what's wrong with you? Why can't you work? And no one's ever really said that, but they say things that make you go, hey, listen, like if my wife wanted to work, she could work. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like she's a strong woman. She she like she was the executive administrative assistant for a large nonprofit organization. Like she is a boss and she can get stuff done. And she chooses not to, and that's her choice. And so, but yeah, and then there's other things on the male side that like, I think we've talked before this, like um, I like to cook, like I really enjoy cooking. And um, every time we ever have people come over or like, you know, people in our church are sick and we'll take them a meal. 
never once have they ever thanked me for cooking. They always thank my wife because they just assume. You know, I'm going to intentionally not thank you. Because they just assume. I don't think I've ever cooked for you in all fairness. Yeah, so. what's with that? I love so, food. Uh, but in all fairness, like I get sometimes the why they think that, but there are these kind of, you know, to just your point in the standard definition of, of gender, um, there is sometimes a devaluing of, you know, those different things and, and saying mm-hmm. those things, or there's only one gender that can do that one thing. And, and, you know, we do believe that there, that God does call certain genders to certain roles, right? Like we believe that God calls the man to lead the home, mm-hmm. right? So we're not saying that's just up for grabs or in the air, but there are other things that doesn't have to be just the man or just the woman. Right. But what's interesting with the pushback is, so like my wife's a stay-at-home mom, and for those who don't think a stay-at-home mom works, I've never come home and been like, oh, wow, my wife looks like she did nothing today. I'm <laughs> like, no, you're really tired, aren't you? Like, you did a whole lot today. Um, but what's interesting about the pushback is because society has had these social norms mm-hmm. and we've had them for so long, the pushback is really kind of against that because yeah. we would say that you know historically if a woman was going to stay home then that would have been socially acceptable and now it's a complete revolt about that right. as we try to as we try to equalize the 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 roles mm-hmm. um, to and by equalize I don't mean um, that men and women are aren't equal what I mean is that we try to diminish the distinction that we act like there's no distinction. Right. And so society would love for there to be no distinction, right. and we see that nowadays. And so that kind of presses us. So you kind of talked about the traditional definition of gender. Um, and I, I would even argue that that's the historical definition of gender. This isn't like, oh, the last 100 years this is how we defined it. It's right. like historically, this is how gender right. has been defined by multiple countries, multiple societies, nations, cultures, all that kind of stuff. So to the point, entire languages, right? And so to the point of, you know, the social norms. I think that's where where modern society has come to in defining. They believe gender is a social construct. That that gender is is is, is fluid, and that that your biological, you know, gender and even sexual preference are are related, but not di- distinctly connected to gender identity. Mm. And so what we get into a lot is, you know, we, so, 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 you know, we could take, you know, for me, so I am, so I'll make this really personal. Okay. So I am a, a guy who I'm a little bit more sensitive. Okay. Fairly emotional. And I do like to do things like cook. There are some people who have in joking ways, but they like, they question your manhood or well, not you are, but my manhood, right? They're like, you know, they, they see me as less of a man because I like those things or because I'm more emotional. Um, and then, you know, there's some women who, and I know some women who are just go-getters, who are just take charge kind of people. And people always are like, well, they're, they're pretty much like a dude, you know, they're just trying to be a man. And so I think we get into these kind of like what you were saying, different maybe expressions or different things like that. And I think that's what society is rejecting are these molds that we've created, and especially even that aren't necessarily always super biblical, mm-hmm. right? And I think we've drifted away from really the biblical definitions of gender, and we've started to say the these are how society defines gender. There's nothing wrong with some societal norms and gender by any means like that. But we get to this point, and I think that's where we're really rejecting is because you have these guys 
that maybe are more feminine, right? Like, or, you know, more sensitive or whatever term you want to use. You have these women who maybe are more, you know, like leaders or things like that. And we just are like, well, they're like, that's it's whatever they identify as, you know what I mean? And so, but that's really dangerous because saying that someone, saying that a woman who leads is a man or saying a guy who's sensitive is a woman, that's not, that's not true at all. Um, you know, Jesus wept, right? He was a sensitive man and, and, you know, like he had a heart and compassion for people that doesn't make him a woman that doesn't make him, you know, that doesn't mean he identified right. as a girl. Um, it just, it's, you know, I mean, so I, I think we've just drifted away from biblical definitions and I think we've left gender to really be defined by society. And I think that is really where it's been dangerous. Yeah. Cause as, um, as society t- tries to, um, define gender, then of course society itself is going to change all the time. And really, if even using that expression, gender fluidity, the implication there is that there is no truth to rest up upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no objective standard. And so why we're using the term um, gender as synonymous with biological sex um, for one, we think it's biblical. Right. For two, it's historical. Mm-hmm. And for three, I think it's helpful. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's a definition that makes sense. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't cook, right? Mm. And, and so, yeah. or, or express yourself in ways that society has in the past deemed feminine. Mm-hmm. Men are, it's okay to do things that society says aren't okay. Right. Right. So, so I guess that is where a little contentiousness, but then um, we also of course have to admit that there's contentiousness because of sin. Absolutely. Um, and there is a rejection. Oftentimes there's a rejection of manhood. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sometimes a rejection of womanhood as something, as we've said, like with stay at home moms is something shameful. How dare you not want to be more like, the man mm-hmm. and, and take on the uh, the mantle of masculine role, right? Um, and so there's a little bit of a rejection of that, or a lot of bit, maybe. As a, <laughs> I don't know if that's a proper expression, mm-hmm. but when you see Genesis one through three in the fall, um, that one of the things that Eve would do would be to try to um, essentially usurp Adam. And of course, sometimes men are the cause of that because sometimes men are chauvinists and, and things like that, right? Historically, that's true too. Mm-hmm. And, w- and when I do premarital counseling, I often talk about um, that God did not put things like the word submit into the Bible so a man could be a chauvinist and say, woman, get me a sandwich, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> that, I was like, if you think that's why the God of the Bible talks about submission, you're wrong. And there are pastors who preach that. Right, and, and and that and that would be wrong. Right, it would be biblically inaccurate. God would have a man pursue after all things godly and good, and to to be courageous and and pure and um, ardent about the faith and, and things like that. And so, man lead in those things. Mm-hmm. If there's anything of of worth, of value, of dignity, and godliness, lead in those things, and why follow him? And so. When we make submission that it's like a, a master-servant thing, well, I get why people are mad about that. But if you see it as a partnership and God puts responsibility on the shoulders of a man and says, be strong, be courageous, and pursue godly things, and God's going to hold him accountable. Mm-hmm. And wife, 
follow in those things, be his partner, be his helper as Eve was originally designed to be. And helper again, doesn't mean master servant. It means partner in these things that God has to do uh, for us. So uh, we could probably go on on that for a while, but I want to talk about really how we've wrestled with this topic. So, um, you know, this, there's some areas where maybe it's a little more difficult for us. Uh, So what are some ways that you've kind of wrestled with this topic? All right. So let's talk about this for just a second. Pronouns. Okay. So it's it's a big thing, you know, to put your pronouns in your in your bio, um, how you want to be identified, he, him, she, her, they, them, whatever. For those not familiar with bio, he, he doesn't mean your uh, biography. You wrote a like your Instagram, your TikTok, All right. that kind of Our stuff. Our younger audience knew exactly what you meant. Your so. Facebook, if you have a Facebook and that kind of stuff. Your MySpace. Um, <laughs> so I'm aging myself on that well, one. You use Twitter still. I still do use like some one people of the few put people. it in their Twitter bio. So, um, well, anyway, so here's my thing. So uh, a couple years ago, I would have just told you outright. So if you have a man who identifies as a woman and wants to be called she and her, that you don't call her, you don't you don't call a, him a her, right? You don't you don't say that about him. You call him a him because that's biologically what he is. Would have said that, wouldn't have thought anything of it. To be honest with you, never really talked with someone who really was another, you know, identified as another gender. But there's, it's kind of cool to see this in some sense, but there are a lot of people who were transgender um, who have found Christ, who have been saved and set free from their sin and are now, right, now living based off the biological gender that they were born with. So here's where I wrestle with it, and I want to know your thoughts on this as well. So I used to think, right, and because it's still true, like we speak truth, right? You're born a male, you are a, you are a him, right? You born a female, you are a her. But is it sometimes also a stumbling block? Because one of the things I hear from these Christians who were transgender is, from their perspective, they would say, call someone by their preferred pronouns, not because you're embracing, right, this you know, sin or this, you know, uh, gender dysphoria, whatever you want to call it. But because they're saying don't put up unnecessary, unnecessary walls between you and a person, meaning if I'm talking to a biological man who identifies as a woman, I'm trying to share the gospel with him and I keep calling him a him. Is that going to be something that prevents him from hearing the message of the gospel? Because I would also say it's unloving to fuel and and not to call him by his biological gender. But anyway, so it's just something I say that because I've just wrestled with that here more so because it, it is an interesting thing to think about is, you know, we don't want to put un- unnecessary barriers between someone coming to know Jesus Christ, you know? Right. So what you're wrestling with is not um, confusion over what their actual pronouns should be. Right. You're wrestling with how can I show them grace? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes in that instance, showing them grace would feel a little bit like you're betraying in your heart. I think it feels to us like if I say that, if that is a guy and he asked me to call him her and I say she, her, then am I betraying truth? Right. Right. And so that's a that's a huge issue because I, I want to be gracious to that person. Mm-hmm. I want to show them the love of Christ. And I also want them to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I go to them and say him and he wants to be called she or her, 
then he may immediately hate me, mm-hmm. right? Immediately be like, this is just a Christian bigot. And mm-hmm. um, and so then I may never have an opportunity to share the gospel. So so what you're saying is that you kind of wrestle with that. And so that's where I break that down to Ephesians 4, where it says, but speaking the truth and love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. And so when I think about how to speak truth and love in this instance, this is this is a perfect example of what is difficult about that. Mm-hmm. This is a hard one to do both. Um, and so that is, though, still the Christian goal. Yeah, I want to do both. I want to not... I don't want to accept sin and just say, I'm good with it. I don't want to give my affirmation to someone who is living a sinful lifestyle and act like it's fine. But I also don't want to unnecessarily offend a person. So I think this is like when Jesus says, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. I think there there are opportunities to, I don't want to say get around the issue uh, because I'm not trying to I'm not trying to walk away from the issue. What I what I'd like to do is give the person Christ, mm-hmm. and He's the transformer. I'm not the transformer. I have no power in and of myself except for the gospel seed that was given to me, yeah. and so I can give that to people. Um, I'm a steward of it, and so so what I want to do is whatever I can do to not be a stumbling block to the person hearing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm asked a direct question. I'm going to be honest. Absolutely. I'll still try to be tactful and gracious and things like that, but I'm going to be honest. But if I can, uh, you had said this as we were kind of prepping, that what if I could call them by their name, mm-hmm. right? That's an alternative. And right. what if their name is, say, say kind of what you said there, if you recall that you have uh, aunt or uncle or something that has interesting Oh, yeah, names. like I have an uncle named Kim, you know what I mean? Right. Like, Kim is mostly a woman's name. Right. Um, he's very much so a man. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so I, my thing is, I don't really care what your name is, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. if you're a guy, and because I also know I have a friend, her name is Tyler. I mean, she didn't pick that name. That's the name her parents gave her. I've never met another girl named Tyler before. Um, so my thing is, is like, we, we assigned more, you know, names to genders and things like that. Um, but at the same time, I don't really don't care what your name is, you know, because names aren't necessarily gendered, if that makes sense. And if someone tells you this is my name, even if you thought that was unusual, for instance, you're sitting across the table from a man named Obadiah Dalrymple. Now, some people might think that I'm making that up, but that's my name. Mm-hmm. And so if someone tells you their name, I'm going to call them by their name. Right. Um, and that's not making a statement of affirmation <clears throat> about their gender sure. identity, their um, biological sex. I'm just calling them the name they told me to call them. Yep. And so I can give respect that way. Now, if there comes to a point in time where I'm asked to um, do something that does violate my principles, that's where I will have difficulty. I'm going to do all I can to to give grace, etc. cetera. But, um, but I also have to do truth. So, yep. so I want to handle... I want to handle the, so truth and love, right? Those two two sides of the same coin. I want to do both as a Christian. I want to handle this better than Christians historically handled the same sex attraction mm-hmm. discussion, and I want to do that with grace. But I still want to hold to the biblical standards of truth because I think there's some real dangers of doing this. Uh, well, there's always dangers anytime we reject truth, mm-hmm. right? And so, of course, there's the eternal dangers. But then, even right here on Earth, so. Disregarding objective truth is not helpful to anyone, right? right? There, there is real danger, and we can see kind of even in an erosion of of society when we start to just tear down 
things that are clear and obvious. Like there, there are there are things about about our existence mm-hmm. even that it's like no that that's a that's a thing right that, that we we may not be able to um, give a a deep scientific explanation or something but it's like a, a common sense i can see that that's a thing i can yep. see that that's a guy i can see that that's a girl um we wouldn't do this with mathematics although we see in society where they are right now trying mm-hmm. to erode even things like objective standards and in, in academics um so when you have that kind of erosion of just basic truth objective truth it's dangerous mm-hmm. and it has real world repercussions, which leads me to the next one, which is the re- real world repercussion of hurting women. I think in this conversation, the 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 group, the people that will be most affected by this are women. And so we think of the um, the mainstream examples, right? The the ones that get the headlines, like sporting events. Mm-hmm. So when a biological male is allowed to compete against biological females, there is a clear difference. And so you just see a biological male just devastate the competition. And that's not right. That hurts women. Mm -hmm. Um, We also talked about um, bathrooms, right? Mm -hmm. And so how initially there was a lot of concern about, well, there's going to be all sorts of assault, things like that. And and you and I kind of tried to do a, a, a little quick research on that. And yeah. we haven't seen a whole lot of headlines of that. Right. But kind of still my response is this. It's not appropriate mm-hmm. for a grown man to use the restroom next to my daughter or wife. It's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. So, so in this instance, rejection of truth, I don't think that there's going to just be a humongous uptick in assault and things like that. Sure. That still leads me with God made distinctions between man and woman, Mm -hmm. and it is inappropriate for my wife or daughter to share a bathroom with a man. Mm -hmm. Right. So those, those are real world consequences. And then the one that I find even more troubling than that is I think transitioning children to a different gender is terrifyingly permanent abuse. Mm -hmm. And I say that word not lightly, abuse. So if they say uh, in psychology and in neuroscience that the brain of a male does not finish maturing until around 25, right? That that prefrontal cortex region, the, the judgment center of the brain. If that doesn't finish until I'm 25, then allowing a child to make a life-altering decision at an early age is is just wildly absurd. Mm-hmm. It is it is terrifying to to think that a parent would do that. Even if a parent fully agrees with gender fluidity, just by using that word fluidity, you're acknowledging that there's a chance that your child may choose something else later. Sure. And if an adult wants to do something that does not violate someone else's rights, then okay, they're they're allowed to. I think the God of the universe allows them to. I think we'll all give an account one day, but as we stand and breathe in this world, um, unless he takes me out for something, uh, unless God strikes me down for something, then he's allowing me in this moment to make sometimes sinful decisions. And so that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is not an adult. We're talking about children. When when parents do this, I remember a time when, uh, when Piper was young, my daughter, and uh, I was walking, I was getting ready to go for a jog, and she was outside with me, and I bent down to tie my shoe, mm-hmm. and she bent down to tie her shoe, and she her shoe wasn't untied. She was just mimicking me. Right. So often, children mimic the atmosphere that they're in. Mm-hmm. And so 
it is a terrifying proposition to think that this child who one day they want to be an astronaut, the next day a cowboy, the next day they want to be the opposite gender, to think that we would forever alter them physically mm-hmm. is terrifying. That is a real world um, just danger with the rejection of objective truth. Mm-hmm. And there's even, so I had to take uh, not one, not two, but three psychology classes in college. Mm. Failed the first time, passed the second time, and then transferred to a Bible college where they did not uh, approve of the secular psychology <laughs> class I took. So I had to take three psychology classes in college. So I'm not an expert. But I know what I'm talking about. But you did stay at a Holiday Inn. <laughs> you're too old or young for that commercial. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I just laughed just so we could transition. But um, <laughs> you just blew off my joke. Whatever. But there is. But one of the things we talked about in that psychology class, all, all three of them, was uh, there is a certain age at which children don't fully understand gender. Um, this is this is why you know as little kids you know and siblings they can be in the bathtub with each other and it's not inappropriate they don't they don't have an understanding of you know that that's weird or um, that they're different they don't understand that there comes an age and I forget what it is it's fairly early on in, in there's, life so there's probably a difference because since everybody um, everybody ages at different rates yeah. everybody matures at right different so rates. they're gonna understand but there's a kind of a, a an age range range yes sorry I should say age range mm-hmm. is probably better terminology where they begin to develop like not develop but understand what gender is they understand what it means to be male what it means to be female they begin to understand the differences and distinctions well then you enter into preteen slash adolescence teenage years and now not only do you have gender understanding now you have sexual understanding and you know one of the things that i found quite interesting as i was kind of preparing for this was there has been a correlation to not only same-sex attraction but gender identity with pornography so the average exposure is eight years old Mm. so that means that there are children younger than eight that are exposed to pornography. That means, of course, there's there's children who are older than that too, but eight years old, that's about the average. And I've seen that very consistently with even students in our own youth ministry, eight years old. As they share their testimony and it, things, right. yeah. And so, in which is, yeah, and that's a whole other story, but the, the correlation between it is because it's, so one, that that's, that's never something that anybody should watch any age, so let's just say that at the get-go. But when you have this mind, that is beginning to recognize and realize gender, that is starting to, you know, puberty, hormones, all this kind of stuff, begin to step into understanding of sexuality as well on top of gender. And now you're watching pornography, which is the action of not just a man, but a woman, or in some cases, right, like same-sex pornography and that kind of stuff. And what it's done is it creates confusion. What are they attracted to? What do they you know, focus on all this kind of stuff. And I I know it's kind of weird to talk about um, because we're thinking about children and that's the disturbing part of it, but it does create these, this confusion, which, you know, which is, you know, what am I sexually attracted to? What do I identify as? And and it just has, it's, it's messed up our, our children psychologically just really has. Yeah. So thinking about any type of sin, right. And, and looking at, Pornography, uh, which most pastors will quote the word, right? Uh, Sexual immorality is pornea, Mm -hmm. from which we get pornography. Any type of sin does pervert. And 
uh, distort. And, and so I guess kind of a charge I would have to anyone listening who has feelings that are in opposition to the Scripture is realize first that you're not alone. Everybody mm-hmm. does. Everybody, every human has feelings in opposition to Scripture. In fact, even Jesus, right, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if possible, take this cup from me. Mm-hmm. God, God the Father had a plan, and Jesus said, "If possible, let's not do that plan." Right? Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to not die on the cross. Right? So you are not alone. You have feelings of opposition to Scripture. There are things about every single one of us internally that we would like to do and wish it were okay in Scripture. Right? right? Okay, but God's way is still better. Mm-hmm. And so that's the point we have to get to: is that God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. He knows that his view of man and woman, how he created man and woman, is right. And so if you're struggling with that, this is part of where faith comes in. So often we talk about faith as if it's the belief in the existence of God, and that's part of it, but it's Mm -hmm. belief in his word and trusting him. Mm -hmm. And so if I trust God, then you know if 70-something percent of males um, would like to, they would like to look at pornography or cheat on their wife or lust after women. Um, and, and it's probably more than that that would like to, but sure. 70, 70 plus percent uh, carried out. Right. So, so if that is true, that they have those feelings, then the step to take is to realize that what God has is better. Yeah. The cheap Im- imitation or the in the improper, the sinful step is not the right one for a person. And what a person will find on the other side of sin is just more desire. Mm-hmm. They won't find fulfillment. Right. And that's a, that's a lie that we've been fed that's it's incorrect. It's a right. lie. Um, so, so then that kind of leads to, um, I guess, kind of the more difficult part. So we've talked about how we kind of wrestle with it. We've talked about the biblical versus modern distinctions. Um, but if the Bible has distinctions, what some will point out, and I think this is a good conversation to have, is that there are scientific variations in people. Um, so so even like you mentioned, a, a simple variation, a non-threatening one, right, that, that the social norm is for uh, or has been historically for women to bake and mm-hmm. you like to bake. And so, uh, so you're a violation of that social norm, right? Oh, darn it. <laughs> Uh, so, so if there are variations with humans, that's a that's a very benign example. There's yeah. lots of other examples we'll probably talk about. But what's the Bible's um, what's the Bible's I guess kind of response to this apparent difficulty that there are there are variations in gender expression? Will you? So I'm saying that phrase very specifically. Yeah. There are variations in gender expression, yeah. and yet we say that there's gender distinctions, right? I think this is where I we, I would go back to what I said earlier of we've kind of drifted away from what the Bible really teaches about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Mm. So if you think about this, you kind of brought up the whole, you know, husband, your wives submit to your husbands, um, but the husbands are called to submit unto the Lord as well. Um, so it's not just the woman who's called to submit. The husband is also called to submit to Absolutely. God and to serve. And the husband has an additional charge to serve his bride, his family, in the same way that Christ served the church. Mm. 
and gave his life for the church. And in that passage in Ephesians, actually right before that passage on husbands and wives, the verse immediately preceding it says, submit to one another. Right. Which so, people don't often mention right. that So part. context is so important. So because we do, we fixate on just the wives submit to your husbands. It's like, well, there's there's more than just wives submit to your husband. But think about this. What, what like, so, so the husband serves his wife. Cooking for your family, that's, that's an act of service. Mm. You know, cleaning the dishes, you know, taking care of things. You know, shouldering the responsibility um, and the emotional weight of your family, that's serving your family. And, and so I say all that to say, does that mean that if you don't cook, that you're not serving your family? No, don't hear that. Like, don't Good, take I it that cooking. direction. <laughs> but Obi's like, me. my family would be starving to death. You if gave I... me so much conviction. <laughs> no, we wouldn't starve. We'd be malnourished, though, because <laughs> like when, when my wife, Danielle, takes me shopping, I go buy Fruit Loops, which we never have Fruit Loops unless I go shopping. Yeah. And, and probably... Pizza, frozen pizzas. Yeah, yeah. I mean that makes sense. Two. I have seen the amount of coffee creamer you put into your <laughs> the powdered coffee uh, creamer on top of that. Yeah, but so, it's no sugar. So true. So I go back to at the end of the day, what is the most important thing? And I would say that it is that we are practicing, expressing, and living out proper biblical gender roles and distinctions. And so the Bible is not really silent on those things. It has a lot to speak about. I mean, there's an entire chapter in Proverbs 31 that's dedicated to describing a woman. Now, granted, I always like to, for context, that was the perspective of a mother writing to her son. Um, this is the kind of woman you should look for. But again, you have a woman describing the the roles and responsibilities of, of another woman. And so, right, so the Bible's not silent on those things. Um, and, and I just think that we've elevated societal gender norms higher than biblical mm. gender definitions. Um, that's a good and, distinction. And I think that's where you get into those those variations of expression because we're all gifted in different ways. For me, to serve my wife is to cook dinner. Mm. That is a way of serving. She hates to cook. She doesn't like it. Um, she'll do it if she has to, but that's not. That's just not it. I, that's how I serve my wife, uh, or that's one way that I serve my wife. And, um, and, and so I, I say all that to say, um, I think that's where we have to go to. How do we address these variations? We have to go back to what does the Bible say the role and responsibility of a man is and the role and responsibility of a woman is. Right. Um, and so so that's a good way to, to look at it because sometimes we make things manhood or womanhood that aren't actually that important in the conversation. Mm -hmm. But there are some things that are. Um, and so as we think of this, I, I again reference um, the Ethics and Religious Liberty uh, Commission article. A guy named Jared Kennedy has a lot of good stuff out on that website about this topic. And so he, he has this definition here. He says, the term biological sex refers to the difference between male and female that is inscribed in our bodies in at least four different ways. So here's four different ways that you can detect biological sex. Our genetic code, XX for females and XY for males, our genitals, our brain and hormone chemistry within our bodies, and then in such secondary sex characteristics as our hair growth patterns and muscular skeletal structure. So within a, especially those last three, you're going to see variations, mm -hmm. right? Now, of course, there some of this topic comes up because of um, the small percentage of actual deformities that we see. Uh, and you and I looked it up beforehand, and it's like, um, it was estimated as, um, what was it, 0.018% of the world population is affected by um, having two gen uh, 
two, two sets, two genitals, yeah. right, of, of both male and female. Um, of course, we didn't dig further into the numbers about, um, you know, but is one functioning, one not? Mm-hmm. Do they lean toward one way? Is it still kind of, and, and actually it wasn't even having two sexes, it's that it was ambiguous, right? right. So that there's some, some degree of ambiguity. So even that has gradients. So it's even mm-hmm. going to be probably less than that. But now they estimate what I saw in 2015, it's 0.02% to 0.05%. Mm-hmm. So... So again, still, it's the world population, right? Yeah, right. And so, a minuscule amount, and even that has gradients. Yeah, it, even that's not the most extreme. And so, what we've done is we've made the we've made the conversation um, about this topic. We've made it about those percentages and acted like it's the whole world when in fact it's not. But because. These four areas, the genetic code, the the genitalia, the brain and hormone chemistry, and secondary sex characteristics such as hair growth and muscular skeletal structure, um, there are still distinctions in humanity. Mm -hmm. And so I have this example. When I was in junior high, I remember when I was seventh grade, I was on the basketball team, and we were at a... uh, we're at a, a rival school, and we're in. It was actually a classroom. They didn't have a locker room for us oh. from small towns. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we're all in this. We're like crammed into this locker room, and I'm there as an underclassman, and all the o- overclassmen were doing a little bit of hazing, and they were checking to see what seventh graders had armpit hair. Super weird. <laughs> super weird interaction. Really weird. You went to a weird school, man. <laughs> well, it's a good school, but okay. that was a weird interaction. But so I remember as a young boy, the feelings inside you are like, oh, I I hope I have more hair (laughs) than other guys, right? Because otherwise I'm going to feel less masculine. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, there was a little ridicule, things like that toward us, um, which probably internally I hate hazing. I just think it's uh, silly and and, uh, everybody starts off. Um, at the bottom of the totem pole at some point. Yeah. And so to ridicule people who start there. Anyway, different subject. But so I remember thinking what they were checking for was some boys had armpit hair, some boys didn't, even though they're the same age. Mm-hmm. And so this is a small example that there are there are gradients to these four, or at least the three, the genitals, the brain and hormone chemistry, and the secondary sex characteristics. There are gradients to these things but that didn't eliminate the distinction of man and woman. Mm-hmm. Now, the other boys may have tried to tease and call us girls or babies, right? right. They may have done that and, and bully us a little bit in that way, but we were they knew we were still boys. If, if they had to, hey, win a million dollars, tell us which gender this is, they wouldn't have had any question. Right. The, the jokes would have stopped because they would have actually known. And so while there's certainly gradients in different areas like um, like that, that doesn't mean that there's still not distinct genders. And for over 99%, over 99% of the entire world, it is immediately identifiable which gender. And that's because God made it so. And in any other instance, it's because sin made it so. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about the individual sin. Uh, when there's a deformity, things like that, I've talked quite openly about my son, Ezra, who has cystic fibrosis. That's a genetic mutation. Mm-hmm. That is... He has that because sin in this world. I'm not saying his individual sin. Right. I'm saying there is sin in this world, and that has caused deformities in in all sorts of us, in, in each of us. Yep. Uh, one day we'll die because of that. Um, so, so what we don't do is have the conversation about the 0.02 to 0.05% and act as if 
entire society has to change for the less than 1% of the entire world when even all of that is not as um, is not as extreme as the, the worst case scenario of what people are thinking in their mind. Sure. Uh, there's just some ambiguity in that. And so the 99 plus percent is is God's intention, right? Mm-hmm. That there are distinctions between man and woman. So anything to add to that one? Nope, nothing to add, man. Well, this is a this is an interesting topic. Uh, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I do hope that people of um, I think whatever audience we have listening, if someone is a Christian who has just been really hard on uh, harsh toward uh, people of same sex attraction or to people who um, identify as other genders, what I hope that they'll get from this is that um, yes, absolutely, you're right that God has a standard, hundred percent right. But he also has love, and what he would love to do is introduce himself to that person. Mm-hmm. And if you know them, then you're their herald, right? You're the ambassador for Christ. And so what Bryson and I and uh, what I, I think we're consistent in saying what God would have you do is figure out how to show them the love of Christ, that he, of yeah. course, has an objective standard, but he loves them, yep. and he died to save them. And then there's uh, someone who may be struggling with gender identity, and what I would have you believe is what we heard from Scripture is that God made man and woman distinct, and he said it was good. And gradients, a gradient scale of any of these things does not mean that your your biological sex is in question. Mm-hmm. Um, and our feelings, what I feel like, if you feel, it, we've, we've talked about um, adultery and pornography, things like that. If a person feels like that would be, good, it's still not good, right? right? Just because our desires go a certain way doesn't mean I should be led by my desires. So to a person struggling with this type of thinking that you feel like you would be more comfortable or identify somewhere in in a way other than what God designed you, I'm telling you, you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other side of choosing something in opposition to God is just more more confusion and frustration, and there may be some immediate satisfaction, yeah. but it's not lasting because you're not in harmony with how God created you to be. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else to add, Bryson? Nope. Well, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, so thanks for listening to Faith in Real Life, and don't forget to subscribe and share with someone who needs a little faith in their life. And if you're in the O'Fallon, Illinois area, we would love for you to stop by and visit one of our church services and a small group, which we call Life Group, in person or online. You can find out all the details about things happening in our church through social media and at fbcofound.org. That's fbcofound.org, and we'll see you next time.